Well, thank you, team, for leading us in uh, worship and song. Now we get to worship in the Word, and uh, it is good to see you all. Uh, Your hair is all in place after our storm last night. How are your homes? (laughs) Pretty crazy, wasn't it? How many had some uh, pretty severe damage around your house, but not your house, like trees, Lightning strikes. I know Michelle had a lightning strike of a tree next door to him. It was uh, spectacular. I've never seen rain go this way like it did yesterday. It was amazing. I I don't know if there was any moment in your heart you felt some uncertainty about what was happening or what was going to happen. Anybody feel a little uncertain? Anybody feel like you might be lifted off and head up to... uh, Kansas like Toto and the Wizard of Oz. I kind of felt like that for a moment. My son was downstairs. Um, he's back from Texas for a little bit with his wife. And I said, you got to come up and see this. And it's like, Dad, you know, come on. There's got to be more excitement than that. He didn't realize how bad it was. But he came up and he, and he did see the damage. And uh, I, was, I was shocked. But, you know... The storm, thankfully, I, uh, to hear that nobody uh, was injured, at least in our uh, world uh, of the bridge. I do know some others were injured, even some lost their lives. And so I'd like to open my portion this morning. And let's pray for all those families out there that have no power and some who have lost loved ones. Father, we are the church. And we are your hands and feet of your grace and love in our community, the communities around. I know in the GTA there are many churches who are not able to meet this morning because they have no power and it's next to impossible to put on a a service. And we're thankful that we are able to be here and we have power and we can have uh, the ability to uh, be in your word and sing and pray and all that so that everybody can hear. But for those churches that were not able to meet, may they be able to go out into the communities and show the love of Christ and be the hands and feet uh, of Jesus. And for those who might have been injured or for those families that have lost loved ones due to this storm, we pray that you would be with them, that they would know that in the midst of their tragedy, there is a calm place to go in the eye of the storm. Father, you are the place to turn to and and to find hope and strength. So be with these families, be with our communities, and keep all those who are trying to get us back up and running again safe as they do their jobs. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In so many ways, life has so many uncertainties, doesn't it? Uh, We can have... Uh, there's uncertainty in things like the economy and things like jobs and health and relationships. Uncertainty abounds in all of those areas. However, there is one area in our our life that we do not want uncertainty, and that is uh, we want to be sure that we are going to go to heaven. Isn't that true? Everybody here... If I ask you, are you absolutely certain, for surezies, as I say to my grandchildren, are you going to heaven? Could you say with all certainty, yes, I am going to go to heaven? 
I hope the answer will be yes for you because one of Satan's chief goals is to really uh, blind the eyes of all people to the fact that there is a way to know for sure that you have a relationship with God and to be sure that you're going to go to heaven. And John is writing this epistle uh, all about that you may know. And so it's easy for us to title this series, That You May Know. Do you know? Last week, as we were looking at the the text, we found out that uh, God loves us abundantly and he shows us through his unending grace in that he forgives all our sins and we can receive cleansing when we're in Christ. Uh, We looked at the wonderful teaching that Jesus Christ is our advocate, wonderful Uh, visual concept of Jesus at the right hand of God speaking on our behalf saying no father these are your children because they have trusted me he is our advocate with the father so there is certainty in life and this is it Jesus Christ he is our certainty and if we're to truly understand the grace of God we need to do some things We need to learn some things. One is, as um, Paul said to Titus, denying ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Paul's saying there are some things that now that you know God through Christ, there are some things that we need to do. And so having seen the power of God's forgiveness and his cleansing as we did last week, and uh, John likes to continue on from that, uh, detailing uh, the, the things that we need to know to be sure that we know. And so uh, our, our first scripture is 1 John 2, 3. That's where we're going to really start. So if you got your Bibles with you, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So first of all, One of the most important truths of the Bible is God wants us or wants you to know him. Just capture this. A lot of people in this world don't get this, that God wants you to know him. And what does that mean? Not, not, Not just knowing God, like just knowing about him, or being able to articulate a bunch of uh, doctrines or moral precepts. He wants us to come to know, that word is in the original language, gnosis, is an experiential, real relationship with the creator of all that exists. That's what it means when he says, God wants you to know know that you can know God. You can know God. God wants you to know him. Another scripture in John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you. So John keeps this theme both in his epistles and in his gospel. The only true God, he goes on to say, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, it's good to note here, stop just for a second, Uh, that although we can never know everything about God, he has revealed all that we must know about him at this time 
to have a real and experiential relationship with him. He has revealed to us his grace, his mercy, his love, the purpose for our life and our relationship with him. He's revealed that he is a God of justice. And so if we get anything right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 3 and following, the core of Christianity is knowing God the Father personally through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who is that tangible revelation of God to each one of us. And if you don't know him personally, experientially by faith, uh, that Jesus Christ is the Savior and hopefully is your Savior, you're not a Christian. Oh, what did he just say? Some people would slap my hand and say, who are you to say who is a Christian and who is not a Christian? Well, it's not me. Don't. Don't shoot the messenger, as they say. The scriptures are very clear that if you don't know Jesus Christ personally by faith, then you are not a Christian. In the future day of accounting, when we kneel before God at his throne, it will not matter that what you knew doctrinally. It'll be nice, you know, it's nice to know the doctrines of the scriptures. It will not matter what you have accomplished in Jesus' name. It, whether you have been a faithful, attender, giver of church, at church, whether you've been raised in a family that calls themselves Christian, whether you have always lived according to a strong Christian morality. Get this, if you do not know God personally, you are not saved. And the only way we can know God personally is by faith in the, in the resurrected Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place and was raised to life again. That's how we can be sure. <clears throat> There's a big significant difference between knowing about a person and truly knowing that person. For example, in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed a lot about a personality in this world named Elon Musk. And everybody here probably knows that name, Elon Musk. Elon has uh, founded a number of companies, uh, Tesla and SpaceX, I believe, is the other one. And he is the richest man in the whole world. And I would like to put quotes behind and in front of richest. I, I know a lot about Elon, because of all that I've read in these articles. But do I really know him? No. I've never sat, had lunch with him or coffee with him, discovered his background. Uh, I've never had any conversations about his upbringing, his his family, his his mother. I have no clue about that. So, So literally, I know nothing of any real value about him except what the papers want to tell But when it comes to knowing God, when you come to faith in Christ, you begin a journey of truly knowing God. Knowing Jesus, his son, is the same as knowing God, the Father. They're one. Uh, Paul is a great example for us when it comes to talking about knowing So you know Paul, the great apostle, for his whole life, he had been studying Judaism. He'd become a Pharisee, and and he was a well-taught man. He today would have several doctorates around religious stuff. And he would say he knew God. 
but he didn't. He didn't know God until he met Jesus on that road, and he came to faith in Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. And then he wrote after that, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He equated that he gave up everything because he had first met Jesus and he was continuing to learn and know Jesus every day more and more. That's knowing. Paul knew a lot about God, but he really didn't know God until personal faith in Jesus Christ came. So let me ask you, do you know Christ personally? Has there been a point in your life where you realize that the sin that is in your life is keeping you from a real and experiential knowledge of God? And you've said, I know the sin is the block. This is what's holding me back. And so you confess that sin to God and you said, I'm going to trust Jesus who is taken my place on the cross, and I'm going to put my faith in him alone, the resurrected Lord. Have you done that? Have you taken the time in your life to make that the most important decision you will ever make? So, first of all, we discover that the, the Bible teaches us that God wants you to know him. And I think again, as I said last week, isn't that amazing that God of all the, that has uh, been created, everything that has been created, he created. He wants to know little old me. Not just wants to know me, he wants to have a relationship with me. Every day, when I wake from my slumber, I wake up to him. Basically, he's right there because Christ lives in my heart. He's saying, I'm here, ready to start the day with you. Isn't that a great thought? Every morning, the Father is ready to start the day with you. Jesus is ready to start the day because he wants you to know him. Second thing is, it's so important, another important truth, is that God wants us to know that we know him. This is just, there's a little bit of language I'm playing with here, a little bit of verbiage. God wants us to know that we know him. And here's the assurance side of this. We know that God knows us and, and that we can know him. But he wants us to know for sure. Because if you think about this, there are so many, you may know some people who just aren't absolutely sure that they're going to go to heaven. And he says in verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him. We know. We don't want to pass that over. There's, there's kind of a difference between knowing and knowing that you know. Isn't that a lovely language? This is a little puzzle in your head this morning. Just don't, don't leave me. Don't wander yet. Let me say that again. There's a difference between knowing, which is just knowledge and just facts, and the difference between knowing and knowing that you know him. Having certainty, assurance that you know him. It's easy to claim that you know him. It's also easy to think that you know him, but you don't. 
And this is where I'm really wanting you to grab hold. Maybe someone here thinks you know him, but you don't. That you're, you're mistaken. I want to caution you this morning. The devil wants to deceive you. He wants you to think you know Christ when you really don't. So for many of you here in this room, this kind of doesn't apply. Because you know him, you know that you know him, and he knows that you know him. The enemy of our soul is doing the very best to cause confusion. So many Christians would say that if you made a profession of faith, you are saved, even if there's no fruit. Now here you probably can go, I know, maybe in your family, could be even some of your own children, who when they were young ones, they made a profession of faith. But for the rest of their lives until this time, there is absolutely no fruit that demonstrates that they're a part of the family of God. I wonder how many people will, at the end of their days, open their eyes, and there's Christ, and they say, Hi, Jesus, and he will say, I don't know you. Isn't that scary? Doesn't that give us pause to think, I want to be sure. I want my loved ones to be certain that they know that they know Jesus. 1 John 5, 13, he's going to speak about this a little bit later. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. There is nothing more comforting in life is to know that when this life is over, eternity is there for you to spend it with Jesus. And how do we know this? How do we know we're, that we will know? It says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is uh, Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Certainty. Paul is saying in Romans 10.9, and if, you don't, if you're writing, write that verse down and, and just meditate on that, that you will be saved. Let me read it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I have done that myself. Uh, I've actually um, talked to God about that an awful lot over the years because I want him to know how much I believe that Jesus... I don't get saved over and over again, but it's certainly a, an assuring conversation. I say to my father, Jesus died for me. I confess it with my mouth, but I know it deep in my heart. It is the core of who I am. And I receive confirmation and assurance over and over. There were a lot of people who believe that if you pray a sinner's prayer, for sure you're saved. And they tell you, go away and know you're saved. Know for sure. Again, where's the fruit? Most of our forefathers in the church would never have believed that. They would say, we will see that the profession of your mouth is demonstrated by the actions of your hands and your feet and your life. 
Remember, um, we see in the scriptures, uh, in Luke, the parable of the sower. And that there are several types of, of ground that the seed was tossed on. It was the only the fourth type, the good soil, that brought forth fruit. It's the soil that was difficult and, and a little bit thorny. And what happened was that those seeds just persevered. I think we have to understand that the perseverance in our faith is a part of the fruit of our salvation. You're persevering in your faith. How can we know if a recent profession of faith is genuine, saving faith? Well, we will watch to see the fruit of that change of life. Change of life. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. He talks about confirming your calling and your election. What is that? That's talking about living out the profession that you made. That Jesus is Lord of your life and your Savior. The one who took your place. And so how do you do that? You live for him. You serve him. You participate by obeying him. First of all, by baptism. If you haven't been baptized and you've claimed to be a Christian for many years, dear brothers and sisters, I say this gently but profoundly. You need to get baptized because it's obedience that you are leaving behind. If you don't regularly attend church and and are missing um, communion, you should stop that. You should be regularly taking communion. It is two things that were given as a command, baptism and communion. How do we show that we truly believe what we believe? We obey the Savior. I know, you know, sometimes we are away from church and we miss church. I'm not trying to be too hard, but I am trying to say that we don't want to miss out doing the things that are clearly revealed in God's word. All right. So God wants us to know, uh, wants us not only to know him through faith in Jesus Christ, but also to know that we know him. But as many scriptures indicate, this assurance is linked to how we live subsequent to our profession of faith. So third, our third point this morning is John states that the way we know that we truly have come to know God is by walking in obedience to, the, to his word. They're interlinking ideas, aren't they? They, they are hand in hand. Uh, obedience to God, God's revealed will, is an authenticating sign of a reality that we have come to know him. That's why he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And John's stance even gets harder when, he, when we go to verse 4. Look at John, 1 John 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, there's a lot of scriptures that are challenging to interpret, aren't there? And you come to them and you go, I need to study this more and more. But when I come to this scripture, um, as one commentator wrote, very deep and and, uh, 
thoughtful commentary. He said, what part of liar do we not understand? Do you get that? What part of liar? If we do not keep his commandments, we are a liar. In other words, uh, we state that we are following Jesus. We say that we love Jesus, but we don't keep his commandments. What does that make us? Makes us liars. Maybe if you want to use other words, it's we're hypocritical. We are uh, sort of living with one foot in the world, another foot in our faith walk with Jesus. Ultimately, John says it clearly. He wouldn't have won any um, best friend awards on this one. Or maybe he would, because he's stating it like a friend should. We're lying. Let's be careful. We don't mess up scripture here, though. I want to note this. We are not saved by keeping God's commandments. This is so important. Because there's a lot of groups out there that call themselves the Church of Christ and say, the only way you can get saved if you do this and if you do this and if you, you know, if you put money in the offering place, if you do these certain religious acts, okay, then you're going to be saved. Well, this is absolutely a lie from Satan. We're saved by faith alone. Saved by the grace of God alone. Genuine saving faith certainly results in a life that shows you are saved by obedience to the commands of Christ. Turn to your Bibles. You got your Bibles? Turn back to John 14. John 14 has a, a section beginning at John 15 where Jesus is really promising the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you're not going to be left alone. I'm going to be leaving you, but I'm leaving you with God, the Holy Spirit, so that you will have a guide uh, for your life each and every day. But then he goes on uh, to talk about uh, some things that are really crucial for the disciples to understand, the apostles to understand. He's in the upper room teaching this. John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Remember, this is John, the writer of the epistle, this is the same person, John, the writer of the gospel, telling us what Jesus said. And then in verse 21, same chapter, whoever has my, com uh, has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if we want to experience the love of God, we need to keep the commandments of God. And as we keep the commandments, we experience the love of God, and we experience God himself. But that doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 23, 24, just a few, a couple verses more. If anyone loves me, do you see a little bit of repetition here? He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Jesus is just repeating what God the Father has said. Go tell them this. Are we done yet in this section? No. Look at John 15. Just a few more verses ahead in the next chapter. It says, Jesus talking, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, I'm not giving you something to do that I wouldn't do myself. I love my Father and I show it by keeping his commandments. Will you do that by 
keeping my commandments. Love me that way. I think it's absolutely practical for us to stop and just think, we're in 1 John 1 and 2 so far. How many years ago was the Gospel of John, what he was just writing there, how many years ago did he experience that moment with Jesus? 60 years earlier. So some of you young people go, 60 years? That's a long time. Do you know I'm 60 years old? You're probably saying right now, what an old man that guy is. Well, John was 90 when he wrote this, and his mind was still clear. But he's so clear that he's remembering something of such great importance from 60 years ago. He's still teaching it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments as I have kept my Father's word and commandments. Just think about this. Contemplate with me uh, the aspects of what John is teaching What this truth is all about, this truth about demonstrating our love for Jesus by keeping his word and the commandments, they were burned in his heart. He could not get loose from this truth that if you love Jesus truly, you'll keep his word, you'll keep his commandments. Secondly, we live in a let's make ourselves happy world. It's all about us. And John is telling, no, it's not all about us. It is about Jesus and his commandments, the Father's commandments. It is about him. It is not about us. Our lives are not about getting or growing uh, and having this wonderful life for us. It's about living and serving for his glory. And every morning when we wake up and the Father says to you, I'm here, ready to start the day with you. Our first thought is, great Lord, I want this day to glorify you in all that I say, in all that I do. Thirdly, I just want to note about this as we think about what John is teaching us here. This is not easy. If anybody says keeping God's commandments are easy, I'm glad that you're feeling that and experiencing it. It is hard to keep the commandments of God because I keep getting in the way of them. I am constantly fighting my old nature which says no, it's about you. And my new nature which is Christ in me is saying no, it's about Jesus. It makes it challenging. But this word keep, I want you to remember as we read this over and over and over again, this word keep is a really important word for us to understand here. It's from an original word, Greek word, tereo, that was used of a sentry walking about his post. He's walking and guarding. It's implying that the enemy is attempting to invade and dominate our lives with temptations that will destroy us. And we need to be vigilant. We need to be faithful sentries. We need not be laid back about life. We need to be alert and diligent to remember that the devil, the one who wants to destroy us, is seeking to enter into our lives in a way that will confuse us, that will distract us, that will take us away from being on point and on mission for Christ. John 
It's talking about knowing God. And knowing that God knows you. And knowing that you know for sure that God knows you. Then he broadens it again as we conclude. He's talking about our love for God. Or is he talking about God's love for us in this passage? If you look at it again, you could be confused. You don't know which it is. I say this, doesn't matter. He's talking about how we should love God and how God loves us. And he says that as we love God, that there's something that happens. Look at verse two and verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 5 in 1 John chapter 2. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. I love that word, perfected. I like when things just go perfectly. Don't you? It says the love of God is perfected. What does that word mean? It has some very clear, powerful truth in it. Perfected means a fulfilled mission. Perfected means it's reached its goal. As the love of God grows in our life, we've come to know Christ, we have at that point, I would say, a child's love for the Savior. It's so young, it's so early. And as we grow in love with Jesus more and more each day, the mission of God is being fulfilled in us. It is being brought to maturity in us. I like that. Because Jesus left us with a mission. To go, on, and go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all things about the love of God. And how better uh, place to be in when you are being an absolute demonstration of what the love of God really is all about. Because it's growing in you each and every day. And as you see here, it continues on. And this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. So as we come to know the love of God personally through faith in Christ. And that love grows in us. What happens? We want to obey and we want to imitate. Imitating the manner in which Jesus lived reveals that we are truly abiding in Christ. John equates being in him and abiding in him with an imitation of him. Abiding is uh, John's term for fellowship or close, intimate relationship. I, I think it's a great word. We don't use this word in today's language very often. But when we think of Christ, we have to ask, are we abiding in him? Are we experiencing Christ in such a way that we are then imitating him. Remember, uh, Jesus used this when he was talking about the branch and the vine. It says in John 15, back where we were, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Is your life about abiding in Christ, each and every day. 
He is our example of what it means to truly love God. So how do we know how to love him? By watching him and becoming like him. By imitating him. Jesus demonstrated uh, that in his own life, and, uh, and he proclaimed it in John 5. Truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. What a wonderful example we have on how to abide in Christ. As Christ abides in the Father, so we are to abide in Christ, to imitate him, to be in him in such a way that we have intimate, personal fellowship with him each and every day. And as Jesus said, uh, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I wish I could say that too. Wouldn't that be nice if we could always say, I always do the things that please Christ and the Father. But it's not true. Uh, I, I do blow it. I do step out of alignment with his will. But we can certainly seek to, each and every day, start fresh and abide in him. Each and every day we can determine to not act in independence from God, but in total dependence on him. And I love how John, in, throughout this epistle, uses the term or the metaphor of walking. He uses it multiple times to walk in him, to abide in him, in which he walked. Look at the very last word of, of verse 6, in which he walked. This, this is a great thing. You know, walking isn't as cool as running. You know, Usain Bolt, you know, world's fastest man, man, that's cool. You know, to get down those 100 meters as fast as he, that, oh, I wish I could do that. I, I, I just can't do that. I, actually, I have a good friend who is a long-distance runner, and I look at him, I say, how do you do that? He says, well, you just, just keep working at it faster and faster, and you, you, you eventually can do a marathon. I look at him and say, I don't want to even try. That just not, doesn't seem like a lot of fun to me. I'd rather walk it. Walking is cool, too. Walking implies Steady progression toward a goal. And each and every day we wake up and we say to the Father, Hey Father, thanks for being with me through the night and now as we start the, this day, I want to walk with you to a, in a steady and uh, focused way to a goal. What is the goal for me this day, Father? You ask that question. What is the goal for my life? I know what that is. Bring glory to you and to fulfill your great commission. And so I'm going to just keep on taking one step in front of another. I'll give you a definition. To walk as Jesus walked means that our lives should be characterized by daily dependence on God. Submission to him and obedience to his will. This this little definition really wraps up all that uh, John is talking about in this little section. To walk as Jesus walked means that our lives should be characterized by daily dependence on God. Daily. Submission to him. Obedience to his will. We'll seek to please him in our thoughts, in our words, our deeds. Let's recap. Let's close out trying to just tie this all together. What is John communicating to us, the church? Each one of you, the church. 
He's saying that you can know that you truly know Christ. And it's seen as in that if you walk in obedience. That will be the fruit. And that will be able to give you the absolute assurance that on a consistent, regular basis, you're walking in obedience. Now, yes, we do fall. We do stumble. And we are so thankful that we got to read uh, 1 John 1.9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteous, unrighteousness. So we, we know that when we fall, we have an avenue to regain that close and personal, intimate relationship again. But then we move back into obedience. What's the purpose, direction, and focus of your life? Stop right now. Could you summarize the purpose, focus, and the direction of your life in one sentence right now? Kind of like a, a purpose statement, as you may have heard. It would, if you haven't got that, I would use that as your homework for today. What is the purpose, direction, and focus of my life? Is it to each day seek to please the Father through being obedient to the commands as found in the, His Word? Okay, use it if you want. Or put it in your own words. Put it in a way that you know that if somebody was on an elevator with you and they said, so uh, what's the purpose of your life? You could rattle that off because it's so ingrained into your heart. You know why you exist. Christian, you should know and you can know your purpose because God isn't hiding it from you. And that you can say, I know my purpose is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I've quoted on other occasions, says this uh, in his book, Walking with God. If you have the life, and the life that he's talking about is a life of being born again, knowing Christ personally. If you have the life, it is bound to show itself. And if it does not, then you have not the life. You cannot be receiving the life of Christ without becoming like him. You cannot walk with God without keeping his commandments. You cannot know God without immediately, automatically loving him. Love always manifests itself by doing what the object of its love desires. Read it again. Let that soak in. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones nailed this one right on the head. So let me ask you one more time. Do you truly know Christ? Ask it of yourself. Do I truly know Christ? Do you know that you know for sure? I trust you do. If you are uncertain today, if I were to ask you the question that I ask many people when I first get to know them, if a Mack truck were to run over you and I as we're going to go get a coffee, would you be sure that when you open your eyes in heaven, that the Father would say, welcome, my dear child, I know you. And when they often say to me, I'm not sure, I have a great opportunity to say, then I'd like to help you be sure. Because I know that he knows me, and I know that, I, that he knows me. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this scripture. 
And I pray that uh, this uh, little bit of verbal gymnastics today will not be lost, uh, and the truth of it will not be lost. That you will work in the hearts of each one who've watched this morning and who've listened here. And that they will know, one, that you know them, and two, that they know that they know you. And so I pray for all of those who are Christians here today. May they be encouraged. May may they tell the story that each one of us, all that live on this planet, can know God for sure. And those who don't, I pray that this is the day that they will surrender their hearts, ask forgiveness for sin, and trust Christ as their Savior, in whose name we pray.